just to give you a little bit of background about myself, I kind of had a unique childhood in that um, I come from extremely opposite cultures. My father is Palestinian from Palestine, and my mother was born and raised on a farm in Iowa. So <laughs> that's, that was where I come from. Um, I was raised going to both the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church. So that's how I was influenced. I believed in God, prayed to God. But what I realized later in life is that I, under, I lacked the understanding of really what sin was. Um, I had a great relationship with my father. Um, we spent a lot of time together. He was very affirming. He taught me a lot of things about life. Uh, but there was one thing about my dad is that he had a heart condition. And I pretty much watched my dad die about four or five times Throughout my life, it started at age five. I walked into the garage and found him in cardiac arrest on the garage floor. He would go on to survive that, and it would happen again at 12, 16, 18, and 21. My mom was an emotionally distant person and at times emotionally abusive, but it would, I wouldn't really be able to come to grips with that until much later in my life. So when a lot of these things would happen with my dad, she wasn't really equipped to deal with the situation. So at 16 and 18, when my dad had these episodes of cardiac duress, I would be the one that would step up and take charge in my family. And that would be calling 911, doing CPR till uh, the paramedics came, driving people to the hospital and all the aftercare that would come after that and just being there to kind of um, help my family just kind of grieve through the process. I have a brother and a sister as well. By the time I was 21, I was working full-time and I had moved out and was living on my own. And so when I got the call uh, when I was 21, um, I wasn't there for that time. And my dad didn't make it. Um, at 16, I started drinking excessively, um, all the while holding up this picture-perfect image of being the one in my family that was the good girl didn't do anything wrong. My brother and sister would get caught doing stuff. And all the while, I was partying right next side my sister. But somehow, I just had this image of like, oh, she can do no wrong. She has it all together. Um, and so by the time I was 21, living on my own, legal drinking age, I spent quite a few nights at the bars drinking my life away. Um, later, I'll come to realize that because I had never fully grieved the things that were happening in my life, because I was always spending time caring for others, that that was how I grieved. That was my form of escape, was to drink. Six months after my dad died, my aunt was diagnosed with cancer. And on the one year anniversary of his death, she passed away. And I then took the same role of then taking my cousin under my wing. I moved in with her and also just kind of taking that role of being a big sister and taking care of her as well. And again, denying the things that I was actually experiencing in life. At 22, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed my entire life. And like literally overnight, stopped drinking, just a radical change. I mean, most of you have heard lots of testimonies like that. That's how mine was. Started attending church regularly, getting very involved in church, um, mission trips, small groups, Bible studies, you name it, I was involved in it. Um, just started walking and started stepping into what my identity was, who God had called me to be, stepping into my giftings, um, went back to college and got my degree, um, traveled the world, 
did lots of just amazing things. And I just started to see what my goals and my passions in life were. And that was just to serve God with my whole life. And I just planned to spend my whole life doing ministry, missions, planting churches, all of that. Um, a few years ago, I just felt like my life was just lining up. All, everything was getting in a row. I was in a relationship that, with the person I was going to marry. Um, you know, I was serving on a church board, discipling people, preaching services, um, <clears throat> getting ready to start a church. I had a vision for a church. It's just like everything just seemed to line up, and I was like, this is it. You know, I'm finally arriving at everything, and that's when everything f- fell apart. And um, I spent about two and a half years in the darkness. And I can only describe it kind of of really what it's like, literally like the book of Job, where every area of your life just collapses. And I just didn't even know what to do. I mean, unemployment, uh, loss of relationships, you loss of your community, the people just, your friends that your inner core that you think will be there through everything just start to fall away and walk away. And you're just like, what is going on? Um, I started just having my identity in Christ being chipped away at, and that became just more and more difficult to deal with, and I found myself not wanting to get up anymore and preach because it was just, my life was in such complete contradiction into everything I knew about God, and I just didn't know how to deal with that anymore, and I just couldn't understand how I could get to such a place when I had studied the scriptures, when I had seen miracles, when all these things, I couldn't understand what was going on inside of me. While all this was happening, um, my past started to come up. And there was things from my past that I couldn't deny anymore. And we talk about in Christ's life this beach ball effect where you're trying to hold things down. So like, here's my present, which is starting to kind of go crazy and I'm trying to hold it with this hand. And here's my past that I had been holding down, which I hadn't realized because I thought I'd overcome all those things. And so I started to crack. And one thing I realized is much like how I lived earlier in my life of always caring for others and being the leader, that I was living that same pattern in my church and in the people that had surrounded me, that a lot of people looked up to me and kind of put me on this pedestal and came to me for a lot of things. And I thought that those people were close to me and that they'd be there for me. But once I started to fall apart and to open up and share and to say, like, I can't do this on my own, a lot of those people pulled away. And I didn't know what to do with that. And that really hurt me and cut me to the core of who I was. <clears throat> it got to a point where I just couldn't deal with, with church anymore and with getting up and preaching theologically sound messages but know that my heart was dead. And so I ended up walking away and stepping down from the church board and that hurt a lot of people in the church. <clears throat> Things during that time just got really, really bad, and I got to a point where I was probably about a one week away from living in my car. And I, like, one thing was that, you know, I'd always been there for my family, and I figured when worse comes to worse, in the very end, like, they'd be there for me, and they weren't, and that cut really, really deep. So when I was at that point of, like, this is it, I'm going to be homeless, Um, I had a friend where, you have friends that you've been friends for years, and you get to this point in your life where, you know, you talk maybe every four months, not that close anymore, and her and her husband had been married maybe a year, they just bought their new house, and they heard about what I was going through, and they came to me, and they're like, you're coming with us, and you're going to live with us, 
And however long it takes you to get back on your feet, that's what's going to happen. And um, they're amazing people. And I wouldn't be here today without them. Um, But it was very hard living with them because when your own family abandons you, when your own core group isn't there for you, and there's these people that you don't, haven't, you barely talk to, you're like, you can't give them anything, and they're trying to like love on you, you're like, what is that? Like, it's hard to accept that kind of love because it's like, I have nothing to give you. You're not even my blood. Like, why would you want to do this? You're getting nothing out of it. Um, But I learned a lot in that time. And just living with them was a very healing experience. During that time, um, I started seeing a Christian counselor because I wanted to just kind of mend things with my family. It was just so broken, and I wanted to heal that. Um, During that time, I learned that I hadn't ever grieved the things that happened with my father and that I actually had post-traumatic stress from the events surrounding his illnesses. I finally came to grips and accepted and started speaking the truth of my relationship with my mother, that she was an emotionally absent person and at times emotionally abusive. And as I started to heal in those areas of my life and grow, there was still a part of me that was very just closed off and broken, and I would just church hop around and around, and nothing ever felt right because my heart was so hardened. And going to church, I would walk in and I'd leave more angry than when I walked in because just hearing the word would just make something in me just like become like a stone. And it just really grieved me because I really missed the relationship that I had with Jesus because I had these memories of this amazing relationship and I just didn't know what was going on. In October, I started coming to Epic Life And this, to me, was kind of my last straw with God. I said, okay, God, like, this is my last straw with you. Like, at this point, it's easier to just completely walk away from you and to live in the world. But I remember how good you are, and I remember our relationship, and I want that. And this is my last attempt to get that with you. I came here not wanting to build any relationships with anybody. That wasn't my intent. (laughs) I was just here to work on my relationship with God. And so I'd be like, I'd just come in, do my worship, listen to the message, and I would be on my way because I didn't think that I needed people. But as I'm wrong because God created us for community, and until you start to open up and let people in and let people love you and until you start sharing your life with people, you're not going to know God on the level that you need to know him. Uh, I started doing Christ Life. Everyone knows about the Christ Life, heard enough. And it's before I did it, I knew that I was believing a lot of lies, and I could list many of the lies I was believing. I just didn't understand how to get free from them, and it would drive me crazy. But once I started doing Christ Life, I started getting the tools, and I started actually using the tools, and that's the big point, too. You have to use them every single day, and you can start to get free from those lies. And um, so I've been coming here, like I said, through it through October, since October, having little breakthroughs here and there, here and there, here and there, starting to build relationships with people, getting close to people, all that stuff's good. But there was just still this one area where I'm just like was struggling with God and I was just like, yeah, things are good, God, and all this, but I don't feel you like I used to. 
And people would say, well, your relationship's never going to be the same. And I'm like, no, you don't understand the relationship I had with him. We were like this. And I was like, I want that back. I want that closeness with him. And there's something there. There's something wrong. And it's just been within the past two months that I finally had those breakthroughs. And it's where I got to the point where I started to actually verbalize the biggest lie that I was believing and although that logically I know that that's not true, my heart was so damaged that I was believing the lie that God at some point had abandoned me and turned from me and that I was living in fear from getting close to him again and allowing myself to get close to him. And that although I had known what my giftings are and I know what my calling in life is, that I was outright disobeying that and not walking in that. And that I was choosing to just wait for something magical to happen um, and I would just sit there and wait for that to happen. But I got to a point where I had to admit that I need to stop allowing the fear to rule me and I need to stop waiting for something magic to happen and I need to start just pressing into God and walking in my calling. And since I've been doing that, I've had major breakthroughs and I'm starting to get that relationship back that I have with God. So I've by no means arrived. I'm still in the very middle of this revelation in this healing process, but that's where I am. Thank you. And she was not excited about giving her testimony. She, I was her facilitator in Christ life, and she let me know right up front that she didn't care for older people, and she's had no use for men. And I said, well, I thought that was close. <laughs> oh, just older people? <laughs> And so I was like, well, it's very interesting that God would put you in my group. So let's go on with our group. It's, a, it's really powerful. If you're, this is your first or second time. It's really powerful to come in here. Just so many different stories. And yet to realize that God cares about every single person and what you really need, he has. So if you're here tonight and you're wondering, does God really have, does he really hear my heart? Does he really love me? Does he really know what's going on in my life? He does, he cares, and he has answers for you. The key that you hear in all the testimonies is you have to own your life. As long as all the things that happen to you are someone else's problem, then you're helpless and your life is never gonna change until you own your life and just go, I have to change. Because the only person that you can control is yourself and when you get to that point, God comes in and totally revolutionizes your life. So, Eric is gonna come and preach. Yeah. So let's pray before he starts. God, thanks for this powerful man. Thanks for the word that you have through him. We just pray, Lord, that you would touch him with anointing and that hearts and lives would be changed tonight through revelation. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Shane, are you here? Yeah. All right. Come over like somewhere where everybody else can see you. Give Shane a big hand. All right. Come up all the way to the front, buddy. So this guy, you guys remember uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we prayed for him for favor in an interview for uh, being a college pastor here in the area. And um, so he's going to preach on Sunday night at Adventure Church at their group called Resonate. Yep. So here you go. And um, hello. So we believe that we're instrumental for sending out people to do ministry. And I'm just so excited that we were able to 
partner with him. And so what I want you guys all to do, whatever you have going on Sunday night, cancel it, all right? And uh, go there. It's at 7, what time is it? 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Resonate, do you remember the room? I'm going to be there at 6.15, and I would love for as many people to come and pray with me beforehand. So if you want to be there early, show up early. I'll be... I'll be walking around the parking lot somewhere because I don't know where I'm going either. So, <laughs> so he's going to bring a fierce word. And if you've been waiting to rededicate your life, do it that night. You know, like <laughs> hold it off for them and, you know, get saved that night. Get saved again. That doesn't matter. Yeah, just go so, crazy. Just go crazy. So awesome. We love you, man. We're so excited for you. So yeah, so be there Sunday night, 7 p.m. Adventure Church. The group's called Resonate. And uh, we're going to rock the house. Can't wait to hear you preach. I will see you there. Yeah. <laughs> Check out our uh, Facebook. We'll have uh, details, directions for that. We'll remind everybody of that. So, um, man, it's a great night. We're uh, charging along in our series, uh, Ephesians 4, and uh, we're going to read that here in just a second. But every single week we've been focusing on a particular role of, of Jesus in us. That Jesus is the grand, like, superhuman guy who saved the world, right? But he lives in us. And his roles and attributes are alive and they're living and they're ministering through us. And we need to come to know that none, not a single one of us was ever destined to be a pew potato. No one was ever destined to come in and receive and never have an outflow. That each one of us has been particularly equipped for this time, this generation, this moment in life to be Jesus to the world. And, but sometimes we don't know like what part of Jesus is, you know, Jesus loves the world. no. He's given us such specific details and roles and and areas that we fit. And so we're going to read Ephesians 4. This is our, I think, our fourth night in the the five-part series. We have one more. This is Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 and 14 and 16. Just read it for context and we'll get moving. It says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Those are the roles. And as a result of these roles, we are no longer, that's we as the church, are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, which is a lot different than speaking the truth, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's all of us, being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, that's you and I, which causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I'm not that smart, but it takes me a long time to read that to get all of it. Here's the deal. Is that Christ gave apostles evangelists, pastors, prophets, teachers. He's gave those five roles to us for the equipping of each other to reach the world. Now, why those five roles? Those are the roles of Jesus. Jesus was the apostle. He was the prophet. He was the evangelist. He was the pastor. He was the teacher. And so Christ is in us. Surely there are elements, roles that must come forth in our life that represent one of those, right? Maybe more. But the baseline of it is that you and I, we partner with Jesus to redeem the world through these roles. You and I, we partner with Jesus to redeem the world. It's kind of a big deal. I don't care what your pay grade is now. This is a step up. (laughs) And we've been borrowing some terms by a guy named J.R. Woodward 
Because we look at that passage and like, whoa, apostle, prophet, you know. And he's like, man, we miss the essence when we get caught up in language. It's like instead of the, the apostle, it's the dream awakener. Instead of the prophet, it's the heart revealer. Instead of the evangelist, it's the storyteller. And tonight we talk about the pastor who's the soul healer. And if you missed the previous weeks, go back and download them. They're on our, our, our site. But you and I, we've largely been caught up in the language of pastor. It's almost like anybody who's paid to be at church is a pastor, right? It's like pastor, we think of somebody who governs the church. And that's, that, I understand that we've, we've gotten caught in the, the terminology. I don't want to get into minutia, but there's difference between pastoral roles, that you and I, we, we pastor, we are soul healers versus somebody who runs a church. A lot of people can run a church. That doesn't mean they're a pastor. You can have people that are like maybe the senior pastor, but they're really a teacher. They're not a pastor. I believe that, that the Bible has given us very specific instructions that there's only one place in the Bible where it talks about a senior pastor. It talks about the chief shepherd. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only senior pastor. All the rest of us were like, hey, we're on the same level. Not great? And each one of us has been given giftings. But here's the challenge is calling forth those roles that are in us. Calling forth the roles that are in each other and walking in that. And so the pastor, the soul healer, what is it? That's the shepherd. They have a deep care for the sheep and move people from hurts to wholeness. A soul healer moves people from hurts to wholeness. And I closely identify myself mostly as, as a teacher, which we'll talk about next week. But here's the crazy thing is that um, sometimes Jesus has other plans for us that we think like, hey, I'm, you know, as I'm writing this message this morning, you know, like they're, they're, I, I feel like the pastoral role is kind of mean, but, but largely I'm like, man, I, I really feel like, you know, teacher's kind of my, my gifting. But Jesus is so funny that he can totally like mess that up. And this morning... God put me in the soul healer position. And that's the thing is that we need to know that these roles sometimes come unexpectedly and not a one of us should ever put ourselves in one box because suddenly God will give a circumstance and a time where all of a sudden you need to take another role. It's in the expected moments that we are thrown into other positions where we get to say, are we going to let Jesus come forth or not? And here's what happened. I'm literally putting like my final details on, on tonight, talking about the soul healer. We get a knock at our door. And I'm like in my pajamas, right? I'm like, you know, I got my Michael Jordan shorts on. I got my undershirt, you know. I've been like feeding the baby. I got, you know, oatmeal on me. And, uh, and so I go over and, and open the door. And uh, there's a, a family uh, couple there. A father and a mother. And they're older, they're like my, my folks' age, and they have children, they have four kids. The eldest is my age, he's married, and he's going to have a, a child in 30 days. Like, our lives like almost parallel. Scarlett's nine months old. And so this family, they come over, and instantly when they walk in the door, we're like, whoa. And they, they just like come in. And I'm like, you know, this is weird. <laughs> and when they came in, all of a sudden, we both stood up. Scarlett and I and Camille, we, we got up and we're like, we knew something was wrong. And all of a sudden they just started sobbing. And their son. Their son, 
He's about to have his child committed suicide. And they're just like, the whole world just crumbled. I mean, 30 days away. And we're just like, oh my gosh, like, I'm not ready for this. You know, you're just like, it, the, the, the pain and just the, the torment of the soul and the heart was just so unbearable. And we just sat there and we just, we just cried with them. And I knew at that moment, we're not pastors, we're not credentialed, we're not, but at that moment, Jesus said that you are their soul healer. And I'm going to use this circumstance that you would come and encounter their heart on my behalf. So we sat there and we just listened. We just listened. And they just, the weeping was just so challenging. We, we, we sat on the couch with them and we laid hands and we just plead the heart of Jesus over them. And at that moment, it's like, gosh, man, when, when we're in those circumstances, regardless of what we think we have, like at that moment, Jesus gave us a heart transplant for their heart. I'm not that emotional of a guy, apparently. But in that moment, suddenly, when, when the, the, the role of Jesus is to take on the heart of the broken. The role of Jesus is to feel those hearts and to be in their position and then to build the building blocks of their soul back. And simply in that moment, all we are supposed to do is just pray with them and just be open ears and be there. And that was just, it was so humbling and just to, to be in that position. And, and here's the crazy thing. Is everything when, when they were talking about it, you know what I wanted to say? The flesh in me wanted to say, I'll pray for you later. You know, like, you know, you hear somebody who, they need an encounter with Jesus, and you're like, I, the best that you can do that moment is tell them later, sometime, maybe I will mention you in my prayer before I eat chicken or something. And I challenge you guys, please, don't let your prayers for people and hearts be limited to, I will pray for you later, because I'll tell you what, I used to say that a ton, and I never would. Can I get an amen? Like, I'll pray for you. Gee, that helps. How about you pray for me now? And so the other thing is like, you know, I'm thinking of other people, all these other people that are trained for this, that I should be like calling them and getting them here. In that moment, Jesus is like, no, I am, I am in you. And so I've given you everything that these hearts need right now. All you need to do is get your flesh out of the way. All you need to do is just set them down. Be bold. Be uncomfortable to ask them, can we pray for you? Move the pillows off the couch and sit and weep with them. Could you do that? I'm half their age. I feel like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. And what was building in there was just so powerful. And it was just, it ruined my day in, in the most amazing way. I never knew my heart could totally just be broken for another family and just, I don't, I didn't know the son. I don't know the family that well either. But they, they saw something that Jesus 
will encounter our lives when we don't know it and we don't expect it. We can't script these things. We have to know that sometimes life collides with us and we get to choose, is Jesus going to come forth or is my flesh going to rule? We need to know that at any time, God is going to have our paths cross with a heart that needs to encounter the heart of God. And we get to choose Will it be us or will it be Jesus? So I just want to talk about the importance and the attributes and the roles of the soul healer. You know, I just this morning, it's like they have, have a lifelong journey of healing to go. They have a lifelong journey. It's going to be so rough, but God used me at that moment to lay the first brick of their rebuilding. And there's a bunch of pens. There's a bunch of uh, note cards on these end tables. And, and what I would love, if, if you guys are so inclined, is that you can pass them around, and if you could like write a verse, an encouragement, something that falls in your heart, I don't know, anything. And put it on there and maybe just sign your name or an email address or, or something. And what I want to do is I want to collect these after service and I'm going to go give it to them. And it sounds weird that you would do something for a stranger you've never met. But I promise you, if you were in the same place of brokenness, you would read letters from strangers all day long. And so we can help kind of lay some more bricks of the soul healing for people that we don't know. It's okay. Jesus didn't say that we need to know them well. He said, be my hands and feet. So those are there, and if you guys want, you can, you can do that. And uh, it would mean the world to me and my wife, and uh, they don't know we're doing this. You know, it's kind of off the cuff. So, uh, Jesus is so good. So I just want to talk to you guys just, uh, just for a little bit about the attributes of the soul healer, because we need to know the roles that the soul healer plays. And also we need to know if we are a soul healer in the making. I think this is probably the, the widest uh, area that many of us can, uh, can be, you know, find our giftings for. So I'm going to go through this and I'll see if I can make it. <laughs> I love you guys, by the way. That I, uh, uh. All right, soul healers. Number one is soul healer's primary goal is personal wholeness and restoration. The soul healer's primary goal is personal wholeness and restoration. Folks, we live in a broken world. We live in such a messed up world where we have our children are committing suicide, where we're having abuse going, where we're having unbelievable atrocities. We live in such a fallen world where people are dragging pain. But here's the thing is that many of us, we don't even know the pain that's underneath. I would have no idea of the magnitude of the pain of this family unless they came into my house. We have to know that the world lives quiet lives of desperation, that we have a world in which people have been disfigured. Their souls have been disfigured and in return they are disfiguring other people that hurt people if they're not restored. Thank you. If we don't restore people, they are going to destroy others. 
If we are not in the business of restoring hearts, we are saying we are okay with the destruction of other hearts at their expense. That hurt people, they hurt people. And when people hurt, if if we don't send out hearts and minds and and prayers and hands and, 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 and be the hands and feet of Jesus, what we have is we have people that have these wounds that never get healed. And they begin to fester and they begin to cause all sorts of other stuff and they begin to cause cancer in our body, of our church, of our society. And we watch like this slow train with people around us that are just, they're so in need of their soul to be repaired. They're so in need of their heart to have someone listen, to have that shoulder, to have that, that time to weep with somebody. But here's the thing that I've learned about a lot of people. Like, how, how would we know, you know, where people are at in this journey? I, for whatever reason, I, I think this is true for me. But I feel like I can tell everything about someone's relationship with God by looking at how they live relationship with each other. I think you can tell a lot about where they are at with God by the relationship with each other. And what I oftentimes see is that people's interrelational problems, maybe people's life's problems become their God problems. That things don't work out in life and so suddenly that their relationship with God is damaged because of what happened here. And, and that's, that's rough. But if unless that the soul healer comes around and so that we can help repair the earthly relationships, because that builds dividends to repair our heavenly relationship. When we begin to have healthy relationships with each other, suddenly we're like, man, I've been believing lies about God and vice versa. The more you grow in your relationship with God, the better your relationships here will be. And the path to wholeness includes brokenness and woundedness. The path to wholeness. The path to wholeness includes brokenness and woundedness. That the soul healer helps us become wounded healers, not sad victims. That we are all wounded, but we are on the journey to being better, right? We're all wounded. We've all had circumstances and challenges in life, and we might have difficulties, but we are not the sad victims. We're not the pity party. We are on a journey to wholeness. If you're not on that journey, you're going backwards. We all need to be on a journey going forward, and and truly powerful ministry comes through the exercise of powerless and weakness. Why do we do testimonies? It's like the lamest way for us to brag because you're all hearing about, like, challenges. Wouldn't it be better, like, I memorized 8,000 verses. You know, like, what if our testimonies were like these works of service? I built four cities in my name, you know? Like, our testimonies aren't like that. Why? Our testimonies are the way they are is because it helps us boast in our weakness. It helps us understand that we are in so desperation of God that we are on a journey forward. We are on a journey forward. Our brokenness just simply reveals that we are moving this direction. Paul even would, would talk about this. 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I boast in my weakness. I boast in my weakness. When we boast in our weakness, this is important here. When we boast in our weakness, it helps us come into grips with reality. When we boast in our weakness, it helps us come into grips with reality, meaning that if we're not real with where we're at, we're, we can't grow. You can't grow with, with being dishonest about where you're at. Soul healers help us live in reality so that we can move forward. So we need to know that 
our struggles are just preludes to glory. If you're looking at your struggles and you're like, man, God's got it out for me, you got the wrong attitude. Wholeness says these struggles are a prelude to my glory in Christ. Are a prelude, are the, the teaser to my wholeness. When we have the attitude that God works all things out for good for those who love him, we know that these are just temporary circumstances and that God is perfecting us, moving us, and confining us into glorious, shaped, like perfect creations in his image. The second thing is soul healers help people determine lie versus truth, choices versus circumstances. I was talking all about that in uh, the testimony. Do you know that just because you feel it doesn't make it right? I feel like I want to rob a bank all the time. It doesn't make it right. I don't know what it is. Like, you put a fence up, I just want to jump it. I, I, anybody else, okay, confession time. Go through TSA security and you're like, I wonder if I could get a knife through here. You know? Right? Or you're at the bank and you're depositing and you see like open that drawer and you're like, you're checking the distance, you know? You're like, look. I, I have no, I don't want to be a criminal. Why would I want to do that? I just, there's something about it. Just because it feels right doesn't make it right. And just because you experienced it doesn't make it right. So truth versus a lie. The most common lie I hear is I don't hear the voice of God. The most common lie I hear is I don't hear the voice of God. Oh yeah? Well, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Period. My sheep hear my voice. So if you don't hear God's voice and you don't believe you hear God's voice, then you're believing a lie. We break the lie and we say, Jesus, you are the shepherd, I am the sheep, I have you in my presence, I am the dwelling place of God, I am your temple, your spirit resides in me, no longer do I live, but you live, surely we need to be communicating. Let's fix that. And I've seen it time and time again where God fixes that. If you are believing a lie that you don't hear the voice of God, come for prayer. If that's you, come for prayer. We can break that lie. It's pretty black and white in the Bible. What about choices versus circumstances? You can't pick your parents, but you can pick the choices you make after your parents. Do you guys know Michelle Purcell? She just got married. Talk about a rough deck of cards that she got handed with life. She has such an unbelievable story. I'm not even going to tease it because it's so, you cannot do any of it justice without like five hours. And it is just beyond any testimony you and I could ever fathom. And she stood on the altar with the man of her dreams, and they are the best couple you could ever imagine. And it all came from taking a rough uh, life and saying, I couldn't control any of this, but I can control what I do after this. I can control how my attitude is through this. I can control how I interpret. Was God punishing me, or was God allowing me to find hope and vision through it? And where there is no truth, meaning we're believing lies, and where there is no choice, meaning we think it's all everybody else's fault, none of our product of our circumstances, where there's no truth and no choice, you will find victimhood. What is victimhood? Victimhood sounds like this. I will never be happy and I can't do anything about it. That's victimhood. You've like laid the cards down. You've like thrown the white flag. The fat lady is sung, like all those things. Like, where do you go from there? When everything else is everybody else's fault and you don't have any power to change it, you are a victim. I'm sorry if that offends somebody. 
There's not a circumstance in this room that you don't have the power of your choice to find a better pathway or at least a better attitude. I'll never be happy. Really? Well, the Bible says that to be joyful always. It's like I say it again, be joyful always, that our happiness is a choice. You say, wow, your happiness? Man, do you know that's your choice? Well, I don't know about that. Hmm? It's kind of clear. We have free will. We, we have the ability to choose the path that God would join us on. God says, man, whether you turn to the left or to the right, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. Meaning, we can make the wrong decision all day long and God will be there saying, go this way. We can make the right decision. He's like, awesome, let's keep going that way. No matter what we do, we have the presence of God with us, direct us. We just need to walk. That's what we need. And a soul healer will let you see that your choices are your choices. And ultimate freedom is to choose the right attitude in those choices that you get to say, man, this is my choice. I chose my wife. She chose me. We love it. Freedom. I, get, I can have the best marriage I choose to have. I can have the best relationship with God I choose to have. I'm telling you, the power of choice. If you don't like your life, change it. What's stopping you? Amen? Amen? And the other lie that we believe, beyond I don't hear God's voice, is the lie of forgiveness. The, one of the greatest schemes of all time by Satan, man, if I were to give Satan like, good job there, it's this lie right here. That forgiveness takes two people. <laughs> forgiveness doesn't take two people. Where do you get that? Forgiveness starts and ends with you. If someone screwed you over, if you've got a chip on your shoulder and you are waiting out for that day when they come begging on their knees, you're going to have a long wait ahead of you. I, like, honestly, when we're carrying around this baggage, we're waiting for that day for someone to totally reconcile. I can tell you now that person you're waiting to do that, it'll never happen. You are being destroyed internally more than they are feeling the guilt. I promise you. You're thinking about it way more than they are. They probably are moved on, all sorts of things. Forgiveness starts and ends with you. There's no, nowhere in the Bible says, well, the, the person has to come in, they have to ask you for, for forgiveness. Mm -mm. I was reading today that one of the, the victims that uh, got shot, uh, he survived in the, the massacre in Aurora, he says, I, I, I forgive the shooter. Never met him, never talked to him. It's like, I forgive him. Forgiveness is up to you. And, but if we don't forgive, we open ourselves up to bitterness and let a bitter root take place and totally eat us from the inside out. Choices and truth. Choices and truth. The third thing, soul healers create a sense of family and belonging. Galatians 6.10 says this. It says, do good to all people, especially to the family believers. Do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the family of believers. We commonly reference ourselves as family. Why? Because we are a family. We can never forsake each other for the sake of the world. What, what good is it if we have all these broken souls in these four walls? Like what, what kind of witness are we as a church if we, if we leave destruction and we're okay with destruction here in the name of going out. 
I think sometimes, like, we need to focus inward. Like, we need to have wholeness here so that we can be whole people getting sent out. We are sending broken people out telling about the hope of Jesus. We're sending the hopeless out to tell about the hope of Jesus. And they're like, I don't want what you got, <laughs> you know? But honestly here, family. We are a family of believers. We're a family in a community. We're brothers and sisters. All those great things. But here's what the real truth is, is that most of our brokenness comes from dysfunctional experiences in family and other communities. That's the sad truth, is that most of our brokenness will come at the hands of family and or another family community. But most of our healing and wholeness will come through a new family and community. Just because community and family didn't work out for you one time, maybe you had the worst family relationship, maybe you had the worst experience ever with church, why hold that against everybody else? If you say, I tried that and that didn't work, you got to check your attitude. I tried and it didn't work, that sounds like victim right there. But you come in and you're like, man, I'm part of something bigger and the soul healer helps create that sense of family. And what family does, at a dynamic like this, is it does something amazing. It robs failure of its pain. Are you with me? That, that family robs, a family like this robs a failure of its pain. How? It's because failure produces isolationism. When you fail, the last thing you want to do is be around people. You want to go hide, right? But when we are in relationship and we are family, the soul healer that produces family and produces that culture, it says, your sin, your greatest failure, it looks it straight in the eye and doesn't flinch. Yep. It looks at your greatest shortcoming, looks at your, the biggest thing you've ever done. In that moment, say, you still belong. I love you the same. That is, that's not who you are. You're included. And we see Jesus help repair and create that sense. And there's no fooling family, right? He has no like... I don't know, I still try to impress my wife, you know, but when I go up to, like, see my family in Portland, like, I won't shave. I was like, oh, I didn't get a deodorant today, oh well. You know, I'm kind of, like, a little more relaxed about it, you know? Because family, like, you, you can't pull a rug over your family's eyes, you know? And when I was um, uh, first dating Camille and we went up to Portland, you know what my, my greatest fear was? Is that they were going to pull up in, like, that video of me dancing as an eight-year-old, like Michael Jackson jumping on and off, like, the walls in the bed and, like, doing, like, my little, like, swivel scissor leg dance and stuff. And, like, I was, like, totally worried about, like, that my family's going to call me out and make fun of me. I think that many of us, when we look at like a church community and a body like this, is that our inclination is that people are going to expose us and make fun of us. And that was my fear, is that my family was going to expose me out of fun, and that's not what family does. My family didn't do that. That was my fear. Just because I believe it doesn't make it right, doesn't make it truth. We share testimony so we know that nobody's got it figured out. Everybody's a work in progress. We're not impressed with your sins, so why are you? Right? I'm amazed that so many people are like, they are really impressed with their sin. You're like, do you think I haven't heard worse? You know, or like, you want me to be impressed? Or like, you know, like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Like, it's, when we stop being so impressed with people's sin, I think we'll find a lot more wholeness. I think sometimes we, we put our failure on such a pedestal and we hide it as if it's like this hidden treasure, you know, away from people. And then when we're about to announce it, you know, we, we call a press conference, you know, and 
And we're, we're getting everybody all worked up about it. That's not how it is. That's not how family behaves. Family behaves like we're stuck together. That's the truth. You're stuck with me. I'm sorry. I'm stuck with you. It's great. So can we get over it? <laughs> the opposite of family is a jury, though. Which do you belong to? Do you belong to a family or do you belong to a jury? If you belong to a family, you're like, man, this week sucked. If you belong to a jury, you're like, I'm going to wear a mask now, and everything was great. Everything went according to plan. I'll tell you that when we really started to find the presence of God here, that a crazy thing happened. Is that all of a sudden, I'm hearing about drugs, sex, criminal, felonies, I mean, you name it. I'm like, whoa. Like, it's crazy. And I was like, man, and we talked to other groups, like we meet together with a bunch of other college groups, and we're like, so what are some of the issues that face your groups? I was like, everything's fine for the most part. And I'm like, looking at this thing, like, wow, we have just all these, like, criminals and all these, like, you know, sexaholics. What is up? The only difference is that, that we live genuine and authentically. There's no difference, you know? The only difference is everybody's else lying to each other. We're just not lying to each other. And I finally got to say, like, wow, the fact that it's coming up, let's celebrate that. I don't want to give someone a high five for their felony, but, you know, like, it's, it's important <laughs> to live authentically, to take off the mask. And here, I tell you, like, you're the only one who's impressed by your sin. There's not a single person you could tell in our leadership that would be like, holy cow, the Bible doesn't have any provisions for that. You know, it's just... <laughs> Can we get over it? And move to wholeness because if we don't get over it, we'll never get whole. Fear of the jury, fear of the judgment, fear of that I will never be restored and accepted, that will keep you away from wholeness. The soul healer is to say, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with us. We're getting through this. That's not who you are. That says nothing about who you are. You're believing a lie. Here's the lie and here's your choice. Amen? Amen. Next is the soul healer understands that while conflict is natural, unresolved conflict is sinful. A soul healer understands that while conflict is natural, unresolved conflict is sinful. Soul healers are relentless in taking out the trash. Why? It's because under the rug stuff causes drama later. You trip on it. If you sweep stuff under the rug, all you're doing is putting interest on that problem. It's just compounding. It's just building up. It's like you know, investment with like a 48% interest. It, nothing goes away by sweeping under the rug. It just manifests itself in a different way. You're still fighting the same exact issues as long as you're sweeping it under the rug. And soul healers help you clean up the mess that you made. The most damaging thing that you can do for this body here is to make a mess and don't clean it up. Why? When we make a mess of life, relationship, it happens, Okay? Not a big deal. We're not impressed with it. But our choice is to clean it up or not. And if we don't clean it up, it begins to seed an investment of bitterness in somebody else. You might have ambushed somebody's soul with pain with the mess that you created. Are you with me? Yeah. And so when we fail, we clean up our mess. But somehow life and how we've kind of been like looked at just living, like we, we've learned that in the face of conflict, we divide and destroy. 
In the face of conflict, we break off fellowship with each other, right? It gets awkward. Well, I can't go there. The, the most silly thing is when people break up and like their ex comes back and it's like, come on, like it's okay. You know, like we can do this. Happens all the time. No one's thinking about it but you, right? <laughs> so that's the truth. It's funny. Like let's have a chuckle at it and move on. But the thing is that we, we, we learn that when there's conflict, our inclinations to run, our inclinations to break off fellowship is to, to depart and segregate and to keep those parts away. You just like breathe it in. It's like awkwardness. It's fine. It's great. But here is why is that division. I'm not trying to pick on couples because there's a whole lot of other conflict that goes on way more than that. But division is a central impediment to God's kingdom on earth. How? Division is a central impediment to God's kingdom on earth because a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Mark 3, 4. If we have conflict in here and we don't resolve it and we're divided, this ministry is not going to stand. It's not going to be around. And everybody experiences conflict, but those who live in Christ, we are given power and instruction to resolve the conflict. That's why it's sin if we don't. And conflict helps community have a realistic picture of genuine community. A genuine community has some tension, has some sparks. Iron sharpened iron creates sparks. Does nobody know that? Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, I'm no horse, but if I had a spiky little thing on the back of someone's heel jabbing in my side, it wouldn't feel too good, right? The natural dynamics of positive community sometimes are sparks or sometimes spurs. The conflict there spurs us on. We just don't let the conflict divide us. We take out the trash. The soul healer comes and helps make nobody's mess become somebody else's mess. But if you come in expecting utopia, you're going to be hurt. You'll probably never come back. Don't expect utopia. Expect some like awkward, wafting in, crunchy moments. It's all right. Last. This is my favorite. Soul healers help the community play. Soul healers help the community play. They cultivate life-giving spirituality by helping other people play together. My favorite thing to ask is, you know, you can like look here, like we do some kind of crazy stuff, right? How about the slip and slide? Anybody go to the slip and slide last week? Raise your hand. Right? Like a 200-foot slip and slide? Do you, know the, do you know how many people have been saved on the slip and slide? Zero. Do you know how many people have rededicated their life after going down the slip and slide? Zero. Right? People are like, wow, you guys spend so much money on these things. Why? How many people? What's the fruit of it? I don't know. All I need to know is like hundreds of people have had the time of their life and they'll never forget it. That's important enough, right? John 10.10, 10, I've given you abundant life, not lame life. Why is that not biblical? Why can't we be completely irresponsible building things that people hurt themselves on in the name of Jesus? It's totally great. But fun is a foundational ingredient to community and authenticity. It disarms us. It allows us to be like, whoa, it's okay. Man, I just broke my arm. Isn't that sweet? You know, like it, it helps us like live life together and helps us take off the masks because all of us come with masks on. It's okay. We love you the same. We just want to see that mask pull down eventually. 
And sometimes it comes off a little easier as you're on a zip line or doing one of these other stupid things. Like, why is that guy on such a tiny bike going down a big hill? It doesn't know. I don't know. <laughs> but science, social scientists have discovered like, the need for adults to play. It's vital for imagination, invigorating the, the soul, shaping the attitude. Fun is supposed to be fun. You know why? There's a lot of people that are really sour. And if they just have a little bit of fun, they lighten up. You know? That's why people recommend they drink. They're like, man, this person just needs a drink. You're like, this person just needs a slip and slide. Come on. It'd be way better. Far less damage. But I think that sometimes we medicate unhappiness by a one-night relationship, by alcohol, by substance, by acting out. Choose your insecurity that you go and you numb yourself out with. Sometimes I think we need a little bit of fun to put things in perspective. We need to free ourselves up to enjoy life. When we're having a lot of fun, we don't have a whole lot of time to focus on all that's wrong. Does that make sense? Eric used to, or still says a lot, if you won't play with us, we won't pray with you. I used to always say, if you won't pray with us, we won't pray for you. I was like, that sounds kind of harsh. You know, and I, I didn't catch the play, you know, part. But that's the role of the soul healer. The soul healer helps bridge all these gaps. And welcome the band up, and we're just going to sing a couple songs and just go to ministry time. But let me give you a couple little things like, man, maybe you're not sure. Am I, am I like built out to be a soul healer? Here are just a couple little statements. If this kind of rings true for you, maybe this is you. Do you find yourself helping others make better choices? Do you feel you have a good grasp on reality? Don't laugh because we know a lot of people don't have a good grasp on reality, right? Are you concerned about people's emotional and relational health? Are you like, yeah, that guy's whacked. And I'm never going to come back. Um, do you have a heart that can empathize with other people's pain? Do you find yourself saying, can't we all get along, right? Are you, you ever feel like you're like the only sane one in a conflict? You're like, I don't get what's going on here. Do you find yourself seeking ways to make people feel more like family? Do you find ways to have people have fun and play? Do you feel that the inward needs of the church are just as important as the needs of those outside the church? Do you find yourself walking alongside people in their life journey? Are you a good listener? Oh my gosh. Can I tell you like, the number one trait of a soul healer is just listen. Like a soul healer, they don't always have the words to say, but they always have the ears to listen. Guarantee. If you're like, I don't have, I'm not that good with my words. I don't have all the Bible verses. That's not a requirement. The requirement for soul healers is to be one that listens and hears. And finally, do you notice people that are hurting? So we're going to go into ministry time and if you guys have those note cards, um, you guys want to do that um, during worship or afterwards is a great time. I would love to go take back a whole bunch of little building blocks for wholeness and restoration for this family. Those are there. And um, if we run out, write on the visitor card. It doesn't matter. Send a smoke signal. We can, we can figure out whatever we need to do. So um, we're in a transition ministry time. I'm going to ask Eric to come forward and close us out. Let's all stand.